Hello, and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. This episode, it's all changed at the 2019 Euro elections. The brand new Brexit party topped the polls. The Lib Dems seem to have returned from the grave. Meanwhile, the Tories and Labour had a combined vote share of less than 25%. Britain's capitalist establishment has one set of views, but what did the election results really represent? And what's the way forward in the fight against austerity and the Tories for working class and young people? Thanks for that, Scott. James Ivans here from the Socialist Newspaper Editorial Department. And today we have joining us Hannah Sell, Hi. who's the Deputy General Secretary of the Socialist Party. Welcome back, Hannah. Thank you. I say welcome back. You only work upstairs, of course. And today we'll be discussing the recent European Union Parliament elections. That's right. So I guess the big headline news is the Brexit Party topped the polls in Britain and the pro-Remain Liberal Democrats and Greens gained a lot of votes as well. Mm -hmm. So what does the Socialist Party think these EU elections represent in Britain? Okay, I mean, first of all, I think that the most important thing that happened in the last week was not, or just about the last week, was not the European elections. Mm. I am going to talk about them, I'm not avoiding it. (laughs) But I think that Theresa May's resignation and the total meltdown of the Tory party is the most important thing that's happened. And for millions of working class people who have suffered at the hands of this Tory government, the fact that the the nasty party is falling apart in front of our eyes. I don't know how many candidates there are now. 10 or 11. Something like that, yes. Um, And it seems very unlikely that the Tory party will come through this intact and the opportunity to get them out of power seems considerable. So that's the most important thing that we should be focusing on. But of course, that is connected to the European elections because Mm. they were humiliated in the European elections. So less than 10% of the vote. I think it's the worst result in 200 years for the Tories. I mean, you know, it was a terrible result for the Tory party. They came fifth. And that is a demonstration of the huge anger and discontent with the Tories but also with the capitalist establishment politicians in general. Probably most people voted in the European elections to vote against the Westminster parties. You know, that would, I think in that will be how they'd have seen it in general when they went out to vote from one point of view or another. Right. Um, and obviously that is about austerity. All the other reasons, the MPs' expensive scandals, new scandal on the Lord's money today. Yeah, all, all that those money is... for not speaking at all. Exactly. Yeah, turning up and leaving again. All those reasons lie behind it, but it was also a protest about Brexit in one direction or another, depending who you were. But I don't think it's accurate to say this was equivalent to a second referendum. Because that's how a lot of the media and the pundits and the establishment politicians have been presenting it, isn't it? Absolutely. Like, it's the most important thing that's ever happened. Let's be clear. I mean, first of all, the European Parliament has very little power and the country's voted to leave it. (laughs) So it's not that important an election. And a lot of people saw it like that. Yeah. the biggest thing that people did in the European election was not vote. 60% of people didn't vote in the European election. Mm. And that reflects that they didn't think it was an important election. It's always been true that European elections have been seen by people as a means to protest more than 
parliamentary elections uh, where you know a general election is first past the post it's a different electoral system right. but it's also about electing a government that is going to affect your life in a direct way and people vote differently in that, that so makes sense. i i think there's a limit to how much you can read into all of this so for example i think the the lib dems in this election got three and a half million or just under three and a half million votes that's a big increase for them. No question about that. And obviously, it was protesting against Brexit. is a big reason that people went and voted for them. But in the 2010 general election, they got nearly 7 million votes. So it's still not equivalent to that. And let's remember, four years after that, in the last European elections... They got one MEP elected. They were they were reduced <laughs> to nothing, and that was because what they'd done in joining the joining the Condem government and helping to implement Tory austerity, hiking up tuition fees, all the other crimes of the Liberal Democrats. I mean, I do think this is a worrying sign. This and the local elections that the Lib Dems are returning a bit to being seen as a legitimate means of protesting, and people are forgetting their crimes in government a little bit. And the coalition from twenty ten. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it still doesn't follow that they would get a similar surge in a general election. OK. And the same on the Brexit Party. Obviously, the Brexit Party won everywhere but London. Mm. Uh, that's significant. No question about it. But UKIP won the 2014 general election. They did not then the go on... The European election. The Europe, sorry, European election. <laughs> but that's the point, isn't it? They didn't yeah. go on. I think they got one... Or two MPs then in the and one was a, 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 a Tory exactly Tories, yeah it? yeah so and this time the rump of UKIP were reduced to just over three percent of the vote uh, the, the far right figure Tommy Robinson got hammered um, yeah lost his deposit didn't he, he? did lose his deposit absolutely uh, so it, it does represent something that the Brexit Party got those votes and people as I'll go on to say voted for them and for all kinds of reasons. But I think there's a limit to how far you can draw long-term political conclusions out of the European elections. Mm. But, of course, the danger sign for us, the warning about it, is that people were angry. The people who voted voted because they were angry in different ways. And whereas in the snap general election back in 2017, Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour left, if you like, were able to harness quite a bit of that anger. I think a million people who previously voted UKIP voted for Labour in that election. Mm. This time, Labour were punished by that anger rather than being able to harness it. So that is a bit of an alarm bell for Corbynism that is important. But I think there's limits to what we can draw from it. OK, well, that alarm bell for Corbynism, like you say, is very important because really the question that we're asking is how does the workers' movement move forward from the present situation? And there are different ideas on that. And... Certainly Tom Watson, the deputy leader of the Labour Party, mm-hmm. I can hear you sighing there, yeah. um, along with other figures uh, from the Tony Blair wing of the Labour Party, the pro-capitalist wing, have been demanding, uh, but not just them of course, you know, Corbyn supporters even, demanding that Labour calls for a second referendum on EU membership. Now, you know, you can see why people might say, well, look, they've just been hammered and uh, there was a big swing to the Lib Dems. And, but is that a way forward for Corbyn and the Labour Party, do you think, and for the workers' movement more generally? No, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. Um, uh, I mean, look, first of all, before you come to the issues, you've got to look at who's saying it and why. Because it is pretty much the pro-capitalist wing of the Labour Party mm. 
the ones who've been out to get Corbyn from the beginning, the likes of Alistair Campbell, who's been kicked out, hasn't he, because he called for a vote or he said publicly that he voted for the Liberal Democrats. And about time. Yeah, and a lot of Blairites are having a campaign of Me Too. And we say, <laughs> yes, that's right. If you voted for austerity, for benefit cuts, for war, for privatisation, you too. Mm. Um, they should be kicked out because... These people have, many of them, openly said they don't want a Corbyn-led government because they're interested in defending the interests of big business, mm. not the workers' movement. And they're horrified by the fact that Corbynism has at least potentially moved Labour in a more left-wing, anti-capitalist direction. Um, so these are the people in the main who are campaigning for a second referendum to reverse Brexit, connected to the fact that the big majority of big business in Britain don't want Brexit. They would mm. love it to be reversed if that could be managed. Um, so that's one issue. The second issue is it's the wrong thing to do. You know, So <laughs> even if you know, there are lefts, as you said, increasingly, unfortunately, numbers of lefts who are calling for a second referendum. Right, yeah. The likes of Paul Mason are saying it in The Guardian and so on, who would describe himself as a Corbynista. Owen Jones. Uh, yep, absolutely. But it's completely the wrong thing to do. If you look in the local elections, so before the Europeans, then the 21 Labour councils where they lost five or more seats were all uh, areas that are heavily pro-Brexit from mm. the referendum. There is a big section of the working class who voted for Brexit as a cry of rage against the capitalist establishment and see the possibility that their democratic vote is reversed by the capitalist establishment. And if the leadership of the Labour Party are seen as being part of that capitalist establishment, pushing to reverse that democratic decision, they will cut themselves off from that section of the working class. And that would be a serious mistake. Mm. So absolutely they shouldn't be doing it. I mean, look, those Brexit Party uh, rallies around the country, they were of varying class character, if you like, depending where they were. Sure. I think the one in Kensington was probably not the same as the one in Merthyr Tydfil. <laughs> but at the one in Merthyr Tydfil, the speakers were saying, this is not about leave or remain. This is about class. The Labour Party used to be the party of the working class, but it's not anymore. We are. We're the party of the working class against the elite. Now, we know that is complete and utter rubbish that Nigel Farage is the establishment's anti-establishment politician. Mm. That's how he gets on Question Time so much, that he supports the privatisation of the NHS. Mm -hmm. I mean, actually, on the Jeremy Ryan show on TV earlier this week, I debated with, as far as you can, on the format of that show, <laughs> uh, with uh, a Brexit MEP, um, who started being surprised that I was someone who'd voted uh, and sort of campaigned for Brexit in the referendum. Why was he surprised by that? Because he thought that everybody on the left was in favour of Remain, and that's what he was expecting to argue. Mm. But then he sort of cottoned on to what I was saying and said, oh, yes, of course, because they've got laws against nationalisation, haven't they? Right. And I said, yes, that's right. And then I said, look at British Steel. A Corbyn-led government should nationalise British Steel. But what's your position on that? And his personal position was it would be totally wrong for the Brexit party to support nationalisation. And afterwards, talking to him, he said, well, you've got to support the free market. That's the way to defend workers' rights. These are little jumped up Tories 
who are claiming to be the party of the working class and it's nonsense. I believe they're now trying to negotiate to get into the far-right group in the European Parliament from what I've read in the press. But if Labour is seen as a party fighting to reverse Brexit, it's leaving that space free for these right-wing populists to claim uh, that they're the party of the working class. And that's a big mistake in our view. I, I think that they would never would have had the opportunity they've had, we think, in the Socialist Party, for Farage and co to, to pose as they're trying to if Jeremy Corbyn had taken a different position on the EU referendum in the first place. Well, that's, that's an interesting point because a lot of people uh, throughout this whole process and mm-hmm. the run-up to the referendum itself and since... Well, they've been asking this question. Well, look at UKIP, look at the, the right-wing populists in the Tory party like Johnson, look at the new Brexit party. I believe the person you debated was a previous editor of Loaded magazine. It's Indeed, a kind of yeah. character that they're dealing with there. Um, the likes of Tommy Robinson. People are legitimately asking, doesn't opposing the European Union strengthen the far right right now? Oh, I would say it's completely the opposite. I mean, look at the question of the referendum back in 2016. Obviously, a referendum's a binary vote, so you're going to have the Boris Johnsons and the Nigel Farages voting for Brexit and us voting for Brexit for totally different reasons. Sure. That's inevitable in such in a referendum where you've got to vote yes or no. But had Jeremy Corbyn put what is his own historical position openly and said, I am opposed to the EU because it's a bosses club, I'm opposed to the EU because it would make a Labour government... It would be an obstacle to a Labour government carrying out nationalisation because it has all these pro-privatisation, anti-workers laws and therefore I support voting to leave the EU but I stand in solidarity with workers across Europe. I'm against racism and I'm an internationalist and I appeal to workers across Europe to support us in this stance. Then that would have transformed the character of the referendum campaign because it's true, racists and nationalists did step in and lead, if you like, the Brexit vote. Mm. But they were able to do that because there was no mass left force fighting on the other side. And see, there's there's a more generalised issue here, which is that there are many people who support the EU for good reasons. Sure. You know, because they're, they're against war, because they're internationalists, because they're horrified by the racism and nationalism of the Little Englanders. And we understand all of that. Yeah. But because the EU has always been a boss's project, an attempt by the capitalist classes of Europe to basically have the biggest possible trading bloc to compete with the other trading blocs around the world, so it's trying to impose unity from the top, Mm. tied in with all kinds of anti-working class measures of privatising railways, Royal Mail, you know, the postal services, etc., etc., And and capitalism can't actually overcome the nation state. That's, you know, a basic unit of capitalism that exists. National boundaries, national consciousness. Mm. Inevitably, you get that attempt to enforce this unity from the top while we still have nation states, particularly when you get economic crisis and workers are suffering, there is going to be a recoil against that. It's actually going to increase centrifugal and nationalist forces because of the anger and discontent that exists with the, this uh, capitalist uh, kind of block uh, across Europe. But it is not automatic 
that the right harness that at all. The reason the right populace have been able to harness it is because there haven't been mass left forces saying we're opposed to the EU, but we're not anti-European. Mm. We stand for socialist Europe, for international workers' solidarity. We're opposed to the EU because of what they did to the people of Greece, Portugal, the other countries of the periphery and so on. If you leave that space free by blocking, appearing to stand together with the capitalist class in the EU against people's anger and discontent, then yes, the right populace will grow. But that is not at all a, an automatic process. So for a, a new collaboration of Europe on a different social basis, on a socialist basis. Absolutely, yes. So what you're saying, some of what you're saying anyway, sounds quite similar to some of what Corbyn said. I mean, you've made points about you know the need to get out of some of the anti-worker rules mm. and he's made speeches along those lines. That doesn't seem to have worked out for him though, does it? No, and it's, it's an interesting point because if you read some of his best speeches, I think we in the Socialist Party would agree with a lot of what he's saying on this issue. You know, So when he launched the European election campaign and he talked about you know, whether you live in Tottenham, a mainly Remain area, or Mansfield, a mainly Leave area, you suffer the same benefit cuts, you suffer the same poverty, what unites us is uh, standing, this is not exactly his words, but what we've got in common is we're the many and mm. we have to be united against the few, the capitalist elite. Think, that sounds quite good. Agree with that. And I think that broad approach is a right kind of approach. But there's several problems that are the reason that it's not gripping at this point in time. I think, first of all, he's not heard. Most working class people would not have a clue that that's what he said in those speeches. And that's related to the fact that from day one of his leadership, unfortunately, the left and the people around him have had the idea we have got to hold the Labour Party as it currently exists together. And that means compromising and fighting for unity with the Blairites. Mm. And as a result of that, the voices who are saying we need a second referendum to reverse Brexit, the voices that are implementing austerity in council chambers up and down the country, because that's what Labour councils are doing, they're heard. And what Corbyn is saying isn't heard. So that's one thing, is that he has to fight to transform the Labour Party into a workers' party. And that is recreating democratic structures where the trade unions have a voice, where working class people have a voice that allows for the deselection, the getting rid of via democratic votes, the Blairite pro-capitalist elements of the Labour Party. But it's also about what they do in practice. I think this question of the Labour councils is a really big issue. Right. Because I think there's 124 Labour councils in Britain. Okay. And they've got massive reserves collectively. They could easily say, we are not going to implement one more cut. We are not going to close down any more public services. We are going to start a mass council house building programme now. And Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell could say, you do that. If you spend your reserves or use your prudential borrowing power to fund that, we will reimburse every penny the minute we're elected. And see, it's a question of being concrete, being real. Saying you're against austerity to someone who lives in a borough-like mine, and yours actually, yeah, in Newham, yeah. which is having services cut to the bone, which has had the bin workers have their wages slashed, has got all kinds of austerity taking place, yeah. don't feel very real. No. 
even a few Labour councillors, councils who were actually doing that, who were refusing to implement austerity, would transform the situation. When we in the Socialist Party, as the militant as we were then, were part of the leadership of Liverpool City Council in the 80s, yeah. we stood up to Thatcher, we refused to implement any more cuts, we built 5,000 council houses, we built leisure centres, we created jobs. Few councils doing that would convince working class people that, but whether they were leave or remain, that this anti-austerity message was something worth fighting for mm. far more than words. So I think that is also a big element of the problem at the moment. However, if Corbyn doesn't retreat under the face of the in the face of the Blairites attacks. He stands his ground. He stands his ground from now. And if he was to say, look, a Labour government would implement Brexit. But our red lines, the kind of thing he's been saying, but more firmly, our red lines in the negotiations, because we will negotiate, you have to negotiate, we want to save jobs, we don't want jobs being put at risk. For sure. Our red lines are get rid of the neoliberal laws, Mm -hmm. get rid of the anti-working class laws, allow us to nationalise, abolish the trade union, anti-trade union laws that exist at the moment. But he was also to say very publicly any businesses that try and use Brexit as an excuse for putting workers on the scrap heap, which is happening at the moment, we will demand you open your books, prove whether you really have the money or not. And if you do have the money and you're laying workers off, we will nationalise you. We will take you over um, under democratic control in order to save jobs. So it came out much more sharply fighting in workers' interests. I think that would cut through. Yeah, well, because even the the present crisis in British Steel up in Scunthorpe, you know, the mm-hmm. government has invoked the EU laws around state aid, haven't they, yeah. to avoid giving it another loan to even carry on the jobs that way, and we call for nationalisation there as well. But the questions that you're raising now, people might well ask. Well, it's all very well, Corbyn and McDonald and so on, saying yes, okay, use your reserves and we'll reimburse you when you come to power. But particularly in the light of the recent results, is it possible? for Corbyn's Labour to win a general election in the coming months? I mean, the first thing I'd say is um, I think that any socialist or any person, really, who says definitely what they think is going to happen in the coming months at the moment is crazy. Because, I mean, (laughs) who knows what's going to happen in the coming months? But, yes, absolutely Corbyn could win a general election. The first thing is I've heard kind of... um, Lots of commentators saying there's not going to be a general election because why would the Tories call one? Sure. But I think that is underestimating the potential meltdown of the Tory party, that they really might have no choice. If the workers' movement, the trade unions, McCorbyn made a call to fight for a general election and not just via parliamentary manoeuvres, which are all very well, but organise demonstrations on the streets, Mm. build a movement demanding a general election. I think it's certain one would be called. But even without that, say a hard Brexiteer votes, uh, wins the Tory leadership election. Or Johnson. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't seem an unlikely scenario Mm. from where we are. And Corbyn calls a vote of no confidence. I think it is perfectly possible that a small number but sufficient of the Tories, the DUP, well, maybe not the DUP in that instance, <laughs> actually, thinking, uh, but a, a section of the Remainer Tories would vote for a general election rather than see a hard Brexit. Because the capitalist class are between a rock and a hard place. They don't want a Corbyn government. They're frightened of it. Sure. But they also don't want a hard Brexit. So this, in one way or another, the Tories can just collapse 
the opposite. I mean, it's less likely, obviously, that a Remainer Tory would win the Tory leadership, but yeah. you would also get a split then yeah. on, on that basis. So you could see a general election. And the Tories know that. I owe Jeremy Hunt, one of the many, many Tory leadership candidates... He's, what, Theresa May in trousers is trying to continue with the same strategy. But I heard him on the radio and he was very blunt. What he said was, you have to have a customs union because that can get through Parliament. And if we put a harder Brexit, it can't get through Parliament and that will trigger a general election. And mm. then we'll have a Corbyn-led government. Oh, my God, it will be terrible socialist communist. You know, so yeah. they know it's almost impossible to get through this without a general election being posed. Once you get a general election... It depends on what Corbyn does. But if he goes over the heads of the Blairites, doesn't allow them to set the agenda, but comes out with a radical manifesto, building on what he put forward last time, council house building, free education, some nationalisation, but going further, nationalisation of Honda Swindon, nationalisation of British Steel, puts forward a fighting manifesto, immediate abolition of universal credit, there's all kinds of other things he should say. For sure. He could win a landslide. That is that's possible mm. if he comes out fighting, and that's what we have to campaign for. However, it's never the position of the Socialist Party that, for example, trade unionists who are thinking about how to fight in defence of their wages and conditions think the solution is to wait for a Corbyn-led government. That that's never the case. First of all, because the more we fight to defend our wages and conditions now the better chance we have of getting a left-led government. Okay. But secondly, because that would only be the beginning. Let, let's be clear. In or out of the EU, big business in Britain would do everything they could to sabotage a Corbyn-led government taking any measures that were actually for the many, not for them, the few. You know, yeah. so they would, they would do all they could to fight. Wilson, going back, even before my time, <laughs> uh, Labour Prime Minister tried to implement a very moderate wealth tax. Yeah. They just threatened a capital strike to stop it. They will do whatever they can to stop left policies being implemented. Now, that raises a general question about the need for the policies the Socialist Party stands for, that, yes, you can implement parts of a radical programme if you mobilise the working class in support of it, yeah. but you will always be facing sabotage unless instead of just taking a few loaves from the bakery, to use an old analogy, you take over the bakery. In other words, you nationalise the major corporations, the major banks, and start to build a socialist planned economy on a democratic basis. You take power out of those multinational, out of the hands of those multinationals that dominate the economy. So that's the broad point it raises. Yes. There's another more immediate point for a Labour government as we are now, which is that Labour is not a workers' party by any stretch of the imagination. It's had a lot of people join. It has had a lot of people join, and that's potential, but they don't have power at this point in time. Mm. A majority of the Parliamentary Labour Party are pro-capitalist. Mm. They've not been replaced. Mm. What that means is even if Corbyn won a landslide, in reality, you would have a coalition government. Because I normally say four-fifths, maybe it's slightly better than that, but a big majority of the Parliamentary Labour Party are a fifth column, a four-fifths column. You know, yeah, they're yeah. opposed to implementing radical measures <laughs> and they will do all they can to sabotage a Labour government. So that means the points that we're raising about the need to start to fight to transform Labour into a workers' party rather than letting these pro-capitalists dominate is vital. And that, unfortunately, that is not happening at the moment. I mean, it's good that action was taken against, uh, um, what's his face, uh, Alistair Campbell, but that's one individual. 
Meanwhile, Chris Williamson, the left MP, yeah. who has kind of tried to defend Corbyn, yeah. is still suspended yeah. for nothing. And meanwhile, they're ratcheting up all these false claims of anti-Semitism. Of course, real claims of anti-Semitism have to be dealt with seriously, but this is just an attempt to undermine Corbyn and there's not enough of a fight back, so that urgently needs to change. Thanks very much for that, Hannah. I think there's a whole range of issues there which have been thrown open once again by the European election results, and that gives some sense of what we think is the best way forward for the workers' movement right now. Of course, all of those issues will be dealt with in more detail going forward in future episodes. If there's anything in particular which, listeners, you think you would like to hear more about from Hannah or from anyone else, please write in to us. Scott will give you the details at the end. See you next time. Thanks, James. If you want to hear more about something we discussed today, or anything else really, write in. The email is socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. And you can help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review, subscribe so you don't miss out, and share the podcast to help us get more listeners. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party. This week we heard from Hannah Sell, speaking to James Ivans, and I'm Scott Jones. Read more and find out about joining the fight back at socialistparty.org.uk. Till next time, solidarity.